Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, everybody, welcome into the Big Ten Show as we hang out with you here on another edition. I know it says Adam Carricker on the other side of the screen, but I can promise you Cole Thompson uh, did not play defensive lineman uh, in the NFL or for the Nebraska Cornhuskers, but he does know a lot about football and specifically the college variety. Welcome in, Cole. How are you doing today, buddy? Listen, I may be five foot seven, but I got the heart of a tiger and the heart of a champion. I know how to play in the Big Ten. No, I mean, uh, uh, let's be real. I I would have got my ass handed to me in any single level of football, but I'm doing good. It's good to catch up with you again. Hey, man, it's great to see you as well, Cole Thompson, at Mr. Cole Thompson on Twitter, Fan Nation. You can check out his coverage there of college football. And it's all Big Ten on the show, but I do want to expand things out to the college football expansion world before we're done. But the biggest news rocking the college football world Ahead of media days in the Big 12 SEC and next week in the Big 10, of course, was the big news out of Northwestern. No more Pat Fitzgerald. And as as we talk about this, and I've been transparent, whether it's been on ESPN Radio or I've known Pat for 15 years. So to, to, to know the person and have sort of this guy that was so generous to me and my family and shows that I was on and until this point never heard anything of the sort that he would have overlooked or been involved or anything that would lead us down a path of his firing at a university where he was so great on the field and really had had that program at relevancy at multiple points during his tenure. It truly shocked me. So I'm going to start there with you as, as far as a level of being shocked one to 10 of all the programs in the country that it was Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald, where we had accusations of hazing and an investigation and eventually his firing. Where did you land? 17.9 thousand, I think would probably be about the level. Cause if you were to tell me, five years ago and say, I came to the future and that I know everything that's going to happen. I would believe you had the lottery numbers that you knew who the next president was, what was going to occur in the likes of social media and how we're going to have Elon Musk buy Twitter <laughs> more so than Pat Fitzgerald being on the hot seat or in hot water with his, or with his alumni in, in his alma mater at Northwestern. He's just a dude who, when you think of Northwestern football, it's the first, second, third, and last name that comes to mind because of, He's everything that has ever been indoctrinated in a positive light with this organization. You know, he was a two-time All-American. He was a two-time Chuck Bernardnik Award winner. He was the catalyst and driving force for that defense to lead Northwestern to a Rose Bowl appearance in the 90s. He was a guy who really was the face and the defensive mind that brought Northwestern to relevancy in the 1990s. And then he comes back to the organization after just two years of being a general, I mean, a graduate assistant at other programs and stays there for 20 plus years. He takes over in 2006 and he has been part of the reason why there's been relevancy with Northwestern football in recent memory. It's not just the fact of him winning two big 10 West titles. It's not just the fact of him being able to produce 10 win seasons, which has only happened five times in Northwestern history. And he's been a part of four of them three as a coach, one as a player. It's also the fact that there's been such tremendous buy-in from the alumni, from the boosters, from people inside the building to where there's not the amount of resources that Northwestern has right now without Pat Fitzgerald. I mean, this is a guy who literally was at the forefront of getting a better athletic complex put on Lake Michigan. That was right. the sole proprietor was because of his impact with the, you know, with the, um, with the program. The reason why Ryan Field is getting torn down and they're adding in a new $800 million stadium is because of 
Pat Fitzgerald brought enough relevancy to say, hey, we need to keep the lights on. We need to make this more than just the Ivy League school in the Midwest. We need to make this Chicago's Big Ten team. And Chicago's the third biggest city in America. So it just is mind-boggling because the job security for a guy like Pat Fitzgerald was safe, especially knowing how many times other universities, other NFL teams all reached out about potentially, would you like to go ahead and build a same type of persona at our program here but the bottom line is that whether or not Pat Fitzgerald knew about what was going on behind closed doors, it's your job as the head coach to know everything that's going on with your program. And that's so what I wanted, to, point I wanted to ask you about that because I knew that was probably going to be something that you brought up. Yeah. When I, when I heard that the investigation came back and said that, you know, nothing showed Pat Fitzgerald knowing it. And then now that some of those student athletes have hired civil rights lawyers and even in their statement, it alluded to, and I'm paraphrasing here, that even though the coaches may have not been involved, it was their duty too. I reached out to 11 coaches from the D3 ranks up to major power fives, and I asked them that exact question. If this was going on in your program, how much knowledge would you have? And all gave varying answers, but all had the same sort of um, conclusion. If it was going underneath in our program – I would probably hear it from an assistant or from a player. I would not probably see it. I just don't spend that much time in the locker room, right? Like you give your speech, you implement a game plan, usually in film rooms. You're not right. in the locker room. That's usually the player's space, right? And the coaches leave. And again, I, I, I don't know specifically. I never played at that level. But even when I was in high school and stuff, it felt like, you know, there was a moment, rah, rah, time to play, halftime, there was coaches. But when the shenanigans happened in locker rooms that I was in in college or in high school, excuse me, it was when the coaches left. So do you think there is going to be a snowball effect from this where it's it's as sort of that statement said from those civil rights uh, lawyers today that sort of a, a reckoning, a player reckoning here? Or was this just so egregious at Northwestern? What, what do you think the answer to that is? Because if 12, 11 coaches from different ranks go, I would have no clue this is probably going on in my locker room if it was. I wonder, like, man, how much of how much of this is still happening, isn't happening, and how much are the coaches ever going to know? It's challenging. It's very challenging because here's the thing. Like, you don't know what goes on inside of locker rooms, but you have a leadership council, and usually these are made up of a majority of seniors or upperclassmen right. who have major, major resources and a great relationship with the coaching staff. Doors open for those guys, willing, right. Yeah, right. to where they're vow vouching for those guys. That, that That's the main thing. Like, like in high school, when I was playing, I was part of the leadership council on my high school team. And, and the reason was because I had a great relationship with the coaches and people had enough trust in me to know that I was going to be leading by example. So – it's not that you need to see everything that goes on behind closed doors. It's the fact of if a leadership council isn't going out of their way to say, hey, this is what's going on and we need to put a stop to this. It's still on Pat Fitzgerald to make sure that he knows who is on that leadership council and then have ramifications for it. And the whole thing is like, it's not the whole hazing situation because if hazing happens in football at, at, at every single level, but hazing is taking a player out who are seniors and paying for a meal. Hazing is taking the seniors uh, shoulder pads and carrying them out to practice or carrying out the helmet. Hazing is running laps and singing, you know, funny songs while doing it. Hazing's that the egregious Seth style of accusations made against the likes of Northwestern football is not hazing. It, it's sexual misconduct. It, it, it's just outliersly. Uh, what's the right word for it? Probably uh, stomach churning. It, it's just things that don't occur 
And I've talked to multiple coaches in the SEC level. I've talked to coaches at the Big Ten level. I've talked to coaches around. They haven't heard of this stuff. So this is very uncommon for anything like this to go on in locker rooms. And the things that have been said against the program as a whole usually don't occur in any style of locker room. So that's where I think the conversation goes. I I don't really know what the civil rights attorneys would be able to be able to find out with all this. Of course, there was the allegations of racism being involved inside the locker room in the, early, in the late 2000s. There's the sexual misconduct all, 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 uh, you know, allegations. But it feels like right now no one is safe at Northwestern. And, and part of the reason why I think that they went the pathway of hiring David Braun as the new defense coordinator for multitude of reasons is, number one, he has no connection to the university. He was hired by Pat Fitzgerald to become the defense coordinator. He's not known as a Northwestern guy. So maybe that's a step to where the program doesn't have to worry about, you know, hey, did you know about this going on back sure. when you were playing days? Did you know about this stuff going on back when you were at Northwestern? But everyone right now is up for grabs. And this includes athletic directors. This includes school presidents. Because if, if they had any allegations, and the biggest thing was also – the way that they kind of made the announcement at midnight on a Saturday, I mean, like, do you think that was going to be swept under the rug, man? Like, like it's social right. media. I can't tweet something at two in the morning, drunk and three sheets of the wind in the Taco Bell line and not get called out for it later on. Someone's going to see it still, and it's still going to be prevalent because of what we have in today's social media. It just felt like... And you could tell that the university did not want to let go of Pat Fitzgerald. They were doing right. everything in their power to guarantee. And I can understand why. I mean, exactly. that's, the th that's the thing, too. You detailed out all the things that he had brought there and the man that he had been over and over again for that university. That's why it just continues to be so shocking. I, I hate that part, though, whether it's this or anything else. And the NFL is great at this. Like, you hand out a, a Friday news drop. And then later on, you go back, and whether it's a reduction or it's an add-on to a suspension, right. just get it right the first time. Whatever you're going to do, just do it the first time because otherwise it feels watered down if you end up adding on to it or it feels like you were pressured or you weren't taking it serious. Whatever the case may be, all those other factors come into the minds of so many that are critiquing it because you just can't get it right. If you were going to let him go or you – like I, the other thing too is I always – I always think sometimes whether it's the NFL or whether it's other leagues or, or universities, like, do you not understand sort of the, the, the high profile level of this and what people are going to react to it as? And so you should be prepared for that. It felt like Northwestern's situation wasn't prepared for what the reaction was going to be from either, you know, former players, uh, the media, fans of Northwestern, and then they ultimately let go of Pat's Fitzgerald. Because even the, the president said, no new information came. I just changed my mind. You can't just you, you got to get it better. I think when you're you doing have to get it right the first time, right? Like, like that's it. That's it. And you can't and you can't just try and sweep it under the rug by posting it at one o'clock in the morning on the East Coast because hey, no one's up, but hey, we made an announcement. It's like you have to do it properly right the first time because right. if not, someone's going to call you out. There's going to be more ramifications, and you're doing more damage than you are doing actual pause control. It was more damage control that went up in hell's wind rather than the likes of them trying to go ahead and ease their way back with the Packers drill thing. Cause I mean, you do a two week suspension in the summer. Who the hell is paying for that? Like it's a two week suspension in the summer versus a two week suspension during the regular season. If you have that to where maybe you do have David Braun be the interim coach for those two weeks, it's at least a, well, we know there's allegations right now. We know there are things going on behind closed doors. We got to figure out the best way possible to mitigate all the negativity and bring our program back to relevancy in a positive light. But the other thing that's really important about this, and I, I know, Jeff, that you're probably not going to want to hear this, and I don't want to hear this because if it's Pat Fitzgerald, it's a guy that is resound in the city. 
if you want to fire him with justifiable cause, you had a reason. The guy had not won on American soil last year. They were 1-11 as a team, not to mention they have 24 losses in three years if you take out the it's been bad lately on the field. So it's yeah. been bad play, and no other coach in America survives that if you right. don't have the resume of a guy like Pat Fitzgerald. So now not only are you dealing with a lawsuit from Pat Fitzgerald's side – now you're also ruining part of the legacy of his universe, you know, with his accolades with the organization. And you're out a crap load of money because of the buyout concern of what was the reasoning for cause. Because there was technically now no justifiable cause, which leads to him getting paid a buyout. So it's a lose all around for Northwestern in this front. Cole Thompson at Mr. Cole Thompson there on Twitter. Fan Nation, you can read his college football coverage there. Now, listen, um, I covered Vanderbilt when I lived in Nashville and James so Franklin. Sorry. I do, but I was there when James Franklin was there. All oh, right? so you were so, there when Jordan Matthews had it rocking and rolling. Right. So like when they went to the bowl game at Music City Bowl and everybody thought it was great. And then after after Franklin left, they've never been able to win again. You know, if Pat Fitzgerald had them at moments being a, you know, a bowl team and winning. Is there an opportunity at Northwestern to make some headway in the Big Ten? Or is this sort of the Vanderbilt of the Big Ten? And whoever takes this job is going to be a bottom feeder in this conference, especially when you're adding – Bigger time programs like UCLA and USC, they're going to turn up wins. Jeff, I want to ask you something. What conference is the Northwestern playing? The Big Ten. They play in the Big Ten. They play in a Power Two conference. They have money out the wazoo. And with the new media rights deal that's $7 billion, someone's going to take that job because of what the buyout is going to come with. So, <laughs> number one, you automatically have one of the best athletic facilities in all of college football, right on Lake Michigan. That's just a state-of-the-art location to where you are going to be able to provide the right resources, the right nutrition, the right facility and complexes to be able to bring in recruits. Now, again, a school like Northwestern, because it is a private institution and it is called the Ivy League of the Midwest, right. does have a few more challenges when it comes to recruiting, but there will be players who want to go be inside of a major metropolitan area like Chicago. And this is right outside in Evanston, Illinois, not to mention there is the Big Ten background with it. You also have a brand new facility being built for $800 million. So they're going to be one of the more productively progressive stadiums in college football. And it's going to be in the heart of an area that people seem to gravitate toward. I mean, I can tell you this is someone who has family up in Illinois. We would go to Big Ten games, either it be in Bloomington or whether it be in Evanston or whether it be in Champaign, because of college football just means so much to that sure. community. So to have a brand new state-of-the-art complex and a new stadium is going to do wonders for the identity of the program if you get the right coach to the building. Here's the kicker, though. You can't just hire anybody. You have to hire somebody, in my opinion, that either has a background in one of these private institutions or a background in recruiting in that area. And I know there's been a couple of names that have been thrown out right now, Sharon Moore being one of them at, at the likes of uh, Michigan for the offensive coordinator job. I think Dave Clawson at Wake Forest, if you really want to go ahead and finally front him the money that he's desperately deserved because he's been winning at a smaller program, would make a lot of sense. I think that if you could get the right coach, maybe a Matt Campbell for what he's been able to do at Iowa State, it's now Big Ten country. There's always been rumors of him wanting to come back to the Big Ten, would make a lot of sense. You got to get a guy that's not only a program builder, but a program progressor. I want to see continuity and consistency every single year within the program. And so this is a job that's going to come with a lot of requirements. This is a job that's going to come with a lot of ramifications and a lot of backlash because of the negative persona around the university right now. But with the right coach in the building, 
with the money that's going to be offered, with the likes of what they can afford in terms of revenue because of the new Big Ten media rights contract, and also the buyout, it's not a dead-end job. Like, a lot of people are saying, put this next to, like, a Stanford. Well, Stanford right now has Troy Taylor recruiting at a top 25 level, and David Shaw kicked ass there as soon as Jim Harbaugh left. So you can find ways to win at the Power 5 level when you have the right resources. But the number one thing that's always important in college football, you have to have the right culture builder. And so I think if you get the right guy in the building, and there's going to be options. There's going to be a lot of options. Mike Oko is another one, I think, from Duke right now, who has been literally all around private institutions, whether it be Wake Forest, whether it be Notre Dame, you know, now he's at Duke. He might be a great fit, but if you get the right fit in the building, you have a very good opportunity, I think, to make headlines. Probably not the first year, but I would say by 2026, you're probably going to be back to bowl eligible and maybe even flirting with the likes of eight, nine wins. Right. And and obviously as college football expands, which we're going to get to in a little bit, the, the landscape of that conference is going to look different. It's not going to be the way that it looks right now with the East West. I mean, it, it's going to be completely different and it may just be the top two teams that go to the conference championship game. And then everyone else, um, you know, will find themselves slotted in in bowl games. And, and obviously Northwestern has the resources finding the right guy is going to be key after this situation unfolded with Pat Fitzgerald in that program. We'll see where it goes. From here, this is the Big Ten Show, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Check us out on all those places. Brought to you by Jacobson Seco. Listen, um, I want to jump around to some other things in the Big Ten before I let you go, and I'm going to have you take your pick here and tell me why. Speaking of coaches, Luke Fickle, uh, we got Walters at Purdue, Rule now at Nebraska. Uh, of those three first-year coaches, who has the best success this year and who has the best success long-term? Oh, easy answer for both. It's Luke Fickle. Oh, he's a fickle guy. It's fickle is Einhorn. Awesome. Einhorn is fickle. It's, it's Einhorn is fickle and fickle is Einhorn. And that is a sweet tune that you can be talking about. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing, Jeff. I reached out to people last year when I heard that Luke Fickle did not get the Notre Dame job. And the next question was, well, where does he go next? And everyone said, he's going to hold out. He's going to hold out at Cincinnati and wait for Ohio State to back open up because if he's really only been tied to two organizations, Notre Dame because of his Catholic background right. and Ohio State because of what he was there underneath the Jim Trestle era. So for Chris McIntosh to swing big, and I mean swing for the fences, firing Paul Christ, letting Jim Leonard, a legend in Madison, go, who did a fair job. I wouldn't say he did a great job, but he did a fair job as the interim coach to go get Luke Fickle. That shows that you are here to compete. You're here to start winning. You're here to start producing. And you want to get back to being Wisconsin football that we all knew and loved. That's the reason why you go swing big for Luke Fickle. And for him to now go ahead and take the reality of, I don't know when Ohio State's going to open up. I know that I will have an opportunity to win in the Big 12. But the media rights contract that just got signed, I'm going to have an opportunity to be on major programs every single Saturday. My games are going to be broadcast potentially in primetime locations, there's a reason why you go ahead and take that deal. And Wisconsin's the program that's kind of like that tier 2A, which is like you want to put it at tier 1 because of the relevancy, what they've been able to do when it comes out punching in first-round draft picks and the level of consistency when it comes to producing an offensive lineman, running backs. But they're not there because of the winning mentality. I mean, they've been going to the Big Ten. They've represented the Big Ten West several times in the last decade. They've been to the Big Ten title game, but they just can't seem to get over the hump. Well, now you get the right guy in the building, and you change up the entire identity of the offense, which is why I love the hire of Phil Longo, because of 
Everyone wants to talk about how this is an offense that's going to be all about ground and pound, moving and grooving between the trenches. Not under, but not under fickle. They're going to spread that out, aren't they? No, but, but but here's the fun part. Here's the fun part. A guy like Phil Lungo knows what he has at his disposal, and he's going to use it to his advantage. So when you go back and you look at the 2020 North Carolina team, they had two impeccable running backs in Javonta Williams and Michael Carter. And they had a quarterback in Sam Howell that at the time was viewed as a first-round draft pick. They were a spread offense, and I mean spread in all terms. They ran a variety of different formations. They ran four wide receiver sets, two tight end sets, but they also were very balanced. It was about 53-47 pass runs. So they know with a guy like Braylon Allen and Ches Mazzulli in the backfield, they have to utilize them to their best advantage. And you get a quarterback that comes from a very similar style of offense in Tanner Mordecai, who just spent the last several seasons underneath not only Lincoln Riley, but also Sonny Dykes when he was at SMU before he took the job at TCU. And he also worked with Garrett Riley. So very similar offensive concepts that's going to allow him to come in right away. And they also brought in a quarterback by the name of Nick Evers, who was a four-star talent that also was recruited by Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley was there. So he was learning the progression of the offense that they wanted to implement in Norman, similar to what Phil Longo wants to do. So not only are you getting a guy that's going to be able to, I think, build for the foreseeable future, you get a guy that can come in and win right now. And the Big Ten West is a crapshoot, dude. Like, I'm yeah. so glad that we're getting rid of divisions because of yep. Illinois. Like, like, we're really going to be talking about Illinois going to a Big Ten championship game. We're talking about potentially an Iowa still at 7-5 and five, making it to a Big Ten championship game. That's how wide the margin is for a team like Wisconsin just to make noise and headlines in the Big Ten West this year. I do believe that they are the front runners to win the division. I think that they will be able to flirt with 10 wins this first season. And the ability of what Fickle can do as a recruiter is going to build this program up. And because college football playoff is expanding, we're going to get the six best teams outside of the Power Five conference winners and, of course, the Group of Five level team that gets represented. That might be Wisconsin every single year because of the way he recruits, the way he commands excellence on defense. And as long as Phil Lungo is running the offense and they get the right personnel in the building – they're going to be a team to mess with. And you don't want to go ahead and mess around and find out what Fickle can do. Because guess what? Cincinnati learned that the hard way. I mean, fans learned that the hard way when Cincinnati was running the show two years ago. Absolutely. Totally true, man. Uh, let's jump to the hot seat. And for different reasons here, I'm going to ask you about these coaches. And if it would have been last offseason, you'd be like, dude, what are you smoking? How can Mel Tucker be on this list, man? He just had a great season. And then you saw Michigan State fall flat on their face after he gets the big contract extension a year ago. And then Iowa, it's the complete opposite. He's been there forever. His son just had a revamped contract that says you have to score a certain amount of points or you're going to be canned in, in uh, Coach Ferentz, the OC. Nepotism at its finest, dude. Nepotism at right. uh, its finest. Coach Ferentz, the head coach. Uh, who's more on the hot seat, Tucker at Mich Michigan State or Ferentz at Iowa? If the buyout was plausible, I would say it would be Tucker at Michigan State, but it's not plausible. I, it's a lot I, of money. I feel like that as of right now, you're stuck with Tucker for at least 2024. So up until 2024 – I think that you're going to have to run it back with Tucker. That's just my bottom line theory, period. It's challenging to say Kirk Ferentz is on the hot seat because it's Kirk Ferentz. Like and he always he figures is, out ways to get good records at the end. He's granddaddy right? of the Big Ten. Like, like yeah. he is basically back in my day when the whippersnappers, like he's that kind of dude that we talk about. But here's the thing, Jeff, and, and this is something that I had a conversation with, with a buddy of mine that covers the SEC. And I think he was very on point with this, and I 100% agree. Because of the new media rights contract that was signed by the likes of Fox and CBS and NBC with the Big Ten for $7 billion, there was probably a conversation with the Big Ten commissioner and with the likes of all the athletic directors. Hey, 
We know what we're going to get on Saturdays when Michigan plays uh, plays Ohio State. We know what we're going to get when Penn State goes over to goes over to Columbus, Ohio, and takes on Ohio State. We know that Michigan and Penn State in a wideout game is going to deliver in State College at Happy Valley. We need those tier two teams to start stepping up. Sure. We need those two tier two teams to start acting like they're part of the SEC because of. You look at the SEC tier two teams, the Texas A&Ms, the Tennessees, the Ole Misses, the even Kentuckys for that matter, they're giving you compelling products on Saturdays. Now, they may not end up going to the likes of the college football playoff, but you're driven in to watch those games at high intensive levels. Well, now you're adding Texas and Oklahoma too, right? That goes into that mix with all the the great top tier teams, yeah. And we don't know what they are. Like, they could be tier two for two two to five to ten years in the SEC – but they're going to deliver a compelling product. We don't get compelling games at Iowa, Michigan State. We don't get a good product when Purdue takes on the likes of Illinois. We hate watching the likes of Rutgers take on Indiana. That's a snooze fest in itself, but it's also bad for the situation that comes on with the likes of everything that we I personify with the Big Ten. So I honestly think that Kirk Ferentz is a little bit on the hot seat because of its nepotism, number one, but it's the same old song and dance of mediocre results offensively with stellar defensive production. Phil Parker has been a phenomenal coordinator in the Big Ten for years. And I might also add in, I was one of those programs that is all about seniority. They do a great job of making sure that the players are going into the building and that they will get an opportunity to start. Like Lucas Van Ness was even a full-time starter last year and he got drafted top 15. He was a rotational guy. But I do think that when you look at the second-tier programs, the Iowas, the Michigan States, the Illinois, the Nebraskas right now, they have to start delivering a better quality of product because of the money that is going into these programs, the money that's being flaunted their way, and the likes of the revenue that they're going to get in return have ramifications to where you have to be able to deliver more, better, promising results well past 2024 and beyond. So if Ferentz doesn't deliver offensively, if there's any regression on defense, it's not justifiable cause to say, hey, we want to go in a different direction because the guy has literally been running the show since the 1990s. Like There are kids right now who are going to be head coaches that are my age, almost 30, that literally were born in the late 90s. Like That's where we're at, and Ferentz has been there for that long. But change sometimes is warranted, and change sometimes is a very good thing, and maybe that's exactly what needs to happen in Iowa City for the Hawkeyes to really get back to not just relevancy, but domination in the Big Ten as a Tier 2 program. All right, man. I told you we were going to talk college football expansion, but I didn't elaborate on what we are going to do. So we had a little thought exercise last week on the show with me and Adam, and I want to get your reaction to this and your thoughts on this idea. Now, I'm not telling you if I'm for or against it. It's just a thought exercise that we were doing. Cole Thompson joining us from Fan Nation, si.com slash Fan Nation, at Mr. Cole Thompson, the Big Ten Show, brought to you by – Jacobson Seed Co., YouTube, iTunes, Spotify. Find us there. So the thought was, if we get to two super conferences or even three, and there's so many teams involved where, you know, you're, you're finding yourself with a plethora, or plethora of records at the top, right? Like not one dominant team, but teams that have maybe two or three losses, and they're sitting there in the two spot or the three spot. We've seen an appetite for expansion in college football because the money's there and fans apparently like it. Would you be on board with the idea that the conference champion in one of the two or three super conferences was determined by a interconference playoff once we got there with the top four or six teams? So no longer just two teams go play one game. We have a playoff at the end. And here's the kicker. That last week of the season, um, say we had a four-team playoff, 
Uh, you had the, the the teams playing the playoff and then the conference championship game. All the other teams, like they did during COVID, that last week is open. So if you are the fifth seed, you'll play the sixth seed just for a regular game, seventh, eighth, all the way down. And we don't know what those games are till the end of the season. Would you buy into that? Do you think fans would? Yes and no. Um, <laughs> There's it, it, money there, man. You know the networks would be like, sure, dude, sign me that's up. That's the thing. That's the thing, Jeff. It's it's money. Like, like, the, 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 like who benefits from this? Because the players it kills tradition in college football, right? Yeah. It kills the, it. The players are gonna be the players are gonna be exhausted by the time that they even. We play twenty games in the NFL. Oh, yeah. Damn it, yes, play yes, some yeah. more. Yeah, no, 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 no. Hey, you're you're, you're paid athletes now, so you know what? We you're NIL money. You make maybe a hundred bucks yeah. from the car wash. Go keep playing. Go, go ahead and go ahead and waste your body. Don't don't, don't worry about what you have in the NFL. We got you, bro. But it's not only that. They don't benefit from this because if their bodies are completely worn out by the time oh, they no. talk about playoff. The other thing is that say you have an injury in one of those games, that completely deteriorates anything that you have going forward with the likes of the college football playoff, which is why you started to see athletes opt out of bowl games that aren't of the same relevancy as the college football playoff. And the final thing, who's getting the money out of this? Are the players? Are the coaches? Oh, God, no. No, no, no you no, know no, the no, conferences no, are. No, no, no. The conferences get the money. And the conference 100%. will decide how they divvy that up. And the television broadcasters are getting the money. I am a huge proponent of expansion. I do not think the four-team playoff system works only because I do believe that there has always been one team left out. And whether that be a viable cause, whether that be because of, you know, the way the records work, I have never been a fan of the four-team playoff. I said eight. I believe that eight was the right number because if you get the power five conferences in or you allow the eight best teams to go ahead and shut their stuff, but also – I think that there's more continuity because of usually it's two teams left out and then two teams that you go, oh, well, you know what? You did enough of a job. Here you go. Let's flow you in there. But it doesn't work because of nobody benefits from it. 12 teams, in my opinion, is far too many because if you take out the biggest part that makes college football different than any other sport in America, tradition, winning that game, the game is literally a death sentence for one team right now in the Big Ten because you don't get to probably go represent your school in the likes of the Big Ten Championship, which means now you're holding your breath and begging and pleading that two teams screw up enough to where you'll sneak into the college football playoff. That game doesn't really have any relevancy anymore when there's 12 playoff teams because, oh, I can go 11-1 and and still find a way to get in. The game against Penn State, which Penn State, in my opinion, this is a prove-it year, or it should be a prove-it year for James Franklin because of this is the best roster I think he's ever Oh, they're had. loaded, man. I think People, top to bottom. They the might be better than – I think they're better than Ohio State on paper, man. I actually do. I believe on paper I have they have them a the number two team in the S- – I have them in the number two team in the Big Ten. Yeah. Michigan, I, then, I Michigan look, then Penn State? Yeah, and honestly, Mich- Michigan and them are really close because of what you return on the offensive line is fantastic – I thought, the whole conversa- I thought the whole conversation was, hey, we love Sean Clifford because he's a swell guy, but swell guys don't win your championships. Drew Aller can win you a championship based yep. off what I've seen of his film. So you upgrade there. You return so much production. But here's the thing, Jeff. It's not going to matter next year because of when there's 12 teams, you can go 10 and 2 and still find your way into the college football playoff. So the tradition aspect of all of these games, what it means to the likes of rivalries, what it means to seeding in the playoff format, what it means to the personnel approach and bragging rights. And also the other thing that's really important, recruiting decisions. It's quintessential. And if you add in a play-in tournament to go ahead and make it into a college football uh, a college football conference 
championships, not the college football playoff, not the college no. football playoff. No, 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 no. Because no. we have a whole other set of games afterwards. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Championship. Yep. You're ruining the product of college. You're gonna, you're gonna hear this, Cole. You're gonna hear this from some. It's gonna be floated. I've never heard this idea. And me and Adam, one day, me and Adam are like, "What's some fun ideas we can do this summer?" I came up with this sitting in my house. I guarantee, at some conference meeting, they're gonna have this discussion once they have 20 teams or 24 teams and go. Oh, wait a second. Oh, oh, I, oh I got. And I want some of that damn money. Is all I'm saying. I want I some, not just the big, the Big Ten. I want some of that money, man. Give me. I came up with this idea. I want to be at the table because they're gonna float it at some point. Hey, we could have two more games that matter, and we can charge a boatload to our networks when we decide to re-up on our next deal. I just think it's something. Oh, I, I got one for you. If this play-in tournament crap that they're doing with the likes of the NBA midseason, oh, yeah. if that kicks off, can you imagine middle of October, they get two bye weeks now. One bye week is your week to recover. The other bye week, you're matching up against some random opponent in your division, and that's how seeding goes for the tournament. The top eight go. teams are the top 10 teams that end go. up dominating against the other team. They're one through 10, and your record defines, are you 11 through 20? It's going to happen because if people are greedy sons of guns, I'm not going to curse on the show. I don't know who's listening. There are children <laughs> that do love college football, and I do True. love children, and I do love being employed. But it is all about the money grabbers. That's all yep. this is coming down to. It's about the nickel and diming. It's why those who control college football live inside of giant penthouses and feast on us pheasant, uh, peasants down below. Go ahead. Eat your money that we're not going to give you here. That's true, man. Plenty of, like, pigeons, baby. Yeah, that's right. That's right, man. It's an idea that I'm sure will be discussed more at some point. Cole Thompson, Fan Nation, Sports Map Radio host as well. Thanks for hanging out, man, on the Big Ten Show, brought to you by Jacobson Seco. Hopefully we can do this again as the season gets going. But appreciate all the thoughts from Northwestern to the hot seats to picking coaches who are going to have a great year. And, of course, our little thought process on college football expansion. Thanks, Cole. Always good to see you, man. Appreciate the time. Hey, thanks, JT. I'm glad you're doing well. Hey, man, another page is turned here on the Big Ten Show. Adam will be back next week. Look forward to hanging out then. Until then, be well, y'all. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.